Thanks so much, Leah, for doing that reading and doing it so well. Really appreciate that. Have you ever made a promise? Think about time in your life when you might have made a promise. Promises, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, don't they? Um, from promises that you make to yourself uh, through to uh, promises that can be the form of a legal promise, uh, a promise that we make when we sign a contract, or we make a statement in a court setting where we make a promise in that sort of environment as well. And we also make promises through the vows that we share when people get married. A few weeks ago, we as a church family uh, made promises to one another as we um, entered into my commissioning service, um, coming on staff here as the ministry team leader. And during that time, when Kay was talking about the promises that we were making, she talked about the importance of our yes being yes and our no being no, based on Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. The issue that Jesus was challenging there was how people would make uh, promises and would add stuff to it to try and legitimise what was going on. And, and it's almost like you know when you might have heard kids when they make promise and do you really mean it? And they say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You ever heard those kids saying things like that? It's quite a dramatic statement. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And I'm sure they make those sorts of statements without expecting that someone's actually going to hold them to it. You know, that they're going to pull out a needle and say, righto, here we go, you haven't followed through. When promises aren't kept, the ripple effect can be significant. And for those that break the promise, there can be feelings of guilt and shame associated with it. Um, there can be legal implications when we don't keep promises as well. And for those that are relying on the promises to be kept, there can be those feelings of being lied to. And they have to deal with the loss associated with those broken promises. It's a little wonder, and there should be a slide that comes up on the screen about um, this graph that was done by um, uh, Roy Morgan when they did some research about what are the most trusted and the least trusted occupations in Australia. And you can't see it, but right down the very bottom, 4% talk about car salesmen being the least trusted um, occupation um, out of those that were being surveyed, with nurses being the most trusted um, in, uh, profession, and that's at 94% of those. So for all those nurses, great shout out to you, well done. Um, and you've got doctors and all that sort of stuff. Ministers of religion, wonder where they fit? 34. We've got some work to do here, guys. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Nehemiah, if you've got them, if you want to switch them on, that's great, um, to Nehemiah chapter 10 and chapter 13 as well, as we have our last look at the book of Nehemiah, before we move into some other areas that we're going to be taking some time to focus on over the months ahead. And over a period of time, we've been looking at Nehemiah, and we've been looking at um, how it encourages us to be rebuilding and a, a thriving church and rebuilding a thriving neighbourhood as well. And over the last several weeks, we've, we've looked at a number of different things about how to thrive in, in the midst of uh, feeling disconnected 
to those around us. That there's a beautiful weaving together of God honouring plans and God's empowering for the the realisation of those uh, plans. That God doesn't want us to separate ourselves out from the neighbourhood, but to have an influence in the neighbourhood and to help transform it. And that we all have a part to play in this transformative work. As we move into and live and seek to influence our neighbourhoods, there can be times that we will feel discouraged. But especially during these times, we are called to bring God's joy and grace to those around us. And over the last two weeks, we've seen the importance of trusting in God, even when we get it wrong, when we muck things up, and to trust Him and His deep love for us. But to thrive as a church and to help um, our, our neighbourhoods to thrive, we need to go beyond being promise makers to being promise keepers. And as we look at the final chapters of Nehemiah, we discover a strong link between the contents of Nehemiah chapter 10 and also Nehemiah chapter 13. So let's do a quick recap and Steve will try and keep up with me as I go through the recap of of Nehemiah chapter 10 and the promises that were contained in there. Um, That the people in verse 29 bound themselves with an oath and swore curses on themselves if they failed to live up to the promises that they made. Sounds kind of dramatic, doesn't it? Swearing curses on yourself if you don't keep the promises. Reminiscent of cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. In chapter 10, verse 29, they promised to carefully follow all the commands, the regulations and the decrees. They promised um, in, in verse 30 not to intermarry with the pagans. If they converted from their religion... Um, like Ruth did when we um, have the, the story of Ruth and how she converted to becoming a follower of, of um, Yahweh God, then that was okay, but not to intermarry with pagans. Uh, verse 31, no Sunday trading. For that was to return, um, you know, it was important that they needed to return to having um, the Sabbath um, in their day. <clears throat> we we regard the Sabbath as kind of like our Sunday. We're gathering together for our Sabbath, but in their day, it was a Saturday. Um, but there was to be a day of rest, a, a day of honouring God and His goodness. Verses 32 and 33 about financially contributing the, to the cost of having the temple in place. Verse 35 and 36, to bring the first fruits of the offering to take care of those who serve in the temple. In verse 37, to bring a tenth of everything to provide for the needs of the Levites and the priests. And in verse 39, to make sure that they didn't neglect the temple at all. Now, I can imagine Nehemiah as this um, this, this guy who comes in to bring in all these different reforms. He must have felt pretty chuffed with all that had been achieved. The war was rebuilt with all that it meant for the people's security and also symbolically what the rebuilding of the wall meant. They could be proud with what God had done in and through them. They'd sorted out issues with the worship services and they made sure that people were getting paid, that they, they, were, um, they had all the necessary resources that they needed for worship, the worship of God. They were all being provided so that the worship was, was back in, in action and happening the way it was meant to. And it must have been 
just this uh, real sense of satisfaction when you, when you work hard and you get the job done and for all the people to be able to step back and say, wow, yep, it's good. We made it. And for Nehemiah, there must have been a degree of satisfaction when he returns to his boss, King Artaxerxes, who had moved um, the capital of his empire to Babylon. Um, and, and for Nehemiah to return, and we read about it in chapter 13, verse 6, I was not in Jerusalem at the time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked for permission to return back to Jerusalem. And so for some time, and we don't know how long it was, Nehemiah left the high priest, the priests, the Levites, um, the scribes, the community leaders and the family leaders to look after things, hoping to come back again to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever gone away somewhere for a period of time, leaving others to look after things. Then when you, when you return, you're shocked by what you saw. Well, imagine for a moment how Nehemiah must have felt. The people had recognised their past sins and how it had contributed to them going into exile. And Nehemiah had led them through this redevelopment and, and revitalization of, uh, of what it meant to be the nation of God and to restore that which had been lost through sin and neglect. But no sooner was Nehemiah back, that his back was turned, that the, people resol- uh, the people's resolve to fulfill their promises all went south. It all went pear-shaped. Pretty much every one of the promises that the people made were let go of. And it had a crippling effect on the worship practices of the nation. In Nehemiah 13, we read about these promises all being unraveled and how Nehemiah comes back to restore them once again. In Nehemiah chapter 13, 1-3, it records how the people stopped following the commands and the regulations and the decrees. In verses 4 and 5 of Nehemiah 13, it tells how one of the priests switched one of the storerooms that were, was in the temple precinct and, and turned it into a storeroom for Tobiah. Now, Tobiah was this guy that we read about a while ago that was actively working against the restoration of the walls. Tobiah was this guy that actually did not want to see the good fortunes of the nation of Israel. And here's the priest allowing Tobiah to set up shop in a space in the temple that was set aside to provide for the needs of the worship of Yahweh God. In verse 10, it tells us how the people had stopped bringing their tithes And so the Levites and the singers, those that were set aside to help the people to worship, had gone back to the fields just to be able to survive. The temple had become neglected because the people had um, given up their support um, of the facilities. In verses 15 to 22, Sunday trading, or Sabbath trading for them, Sabbath trading was allowed to take place again. And so people lost their opportunity to have rest and to have a day off, to rejuvenate themselves, to celebrate God's goodness to them and to honour Him. We also read that rather than marrying people passionate 
about following Yahweh God. They returned to the practice of marrying people who brought with them their own gods, their own baggage and their own pagan traditions. And in verse 30 and 31, they had stopped uh, bringing the first fruit offerings which helped to meet the needs of those who served and helped the people in their worship of God. You know, two and a half thousand years on, we may think that, you know, the response of Nehemiah was a bit harsh in verse 25. And it's probably worthwhile remembering that we need to put it back into the context of the culture of the day. So, the pulling of tufts of hair and the beating that may seem harsh to us, and I'm not condoning that in any way, shape or form, but we need to be able to be prepared to let it sit in the culture of the day. But we also, it's worthwhile remembering that it was not only their time and Nehemiah was responding to the shame and the negative impacts of their behaviour and the, the effects that that was having on their ability to worship God. But beyond that, it was these people that had made these promises. Promises to themselves, promises to each other, promises to God. These promises that we see in blue on the left-hand side of the screen. They'd made these promises and they had gone through and broken and broken and broken these promises. They were the ones that said, we will do it. They even went to the point of calling down curses on themselves if they didn't obey. Such were the ripple effects of the broken promises that people previously set aside to be free, to be able to work and to serve full-time in helping others worship God. They had to turn their backs on these responsibilities. They had to go back to their fields, go back to their homes and to, to start providing for their own families once again, just to be able to put food on the table. Such were the ripple effects that rooms that were set aside to store the items for worship of God had become personal rooms for pagans who were both anti-Yahweh God, but also anti the advancement of the people, of, of God's own people. Such were the ripple effects that people's ability to come to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple had almost ground to a halt. So with a fire in Nehemiah's belly and an unwillingness to allow what had been gained in the worship of God and the advancement of um, God's people to be just tossed so easily to one side, Nehemiah called, he challenged and he corrected the behaviour out of a desire to have the people live once again according to the promises that they had made. It's a little wonder that elsewhere when we read the scriptures that we come across a, in the book of Ecclesiastes, this passage in Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 to 7 and the words are on the screen. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. 
Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry and you might wipe out everything and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. Talk is cheap. Like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. So when we make promises, Ecclesiastes reminds us that they are valuable and we should be quick to fulfill them. We should never make promises with our fingers crossed behind our back. Our promises do matter. And when we fail to live them out, they can have a negative impact on us individually, on us as a church family, and also on us as a neighbourhood. A number of you have made promises which are reflected in the ministry of service that you've been involved in today. Imagine if all of us said, oh, look, you know, that promise doesn't matter. I'll just sleep in instead and, you know, they'll just sort it all out. That's fine. No one will care if I don't follow through with the promise that I made. Now, I appreciate that there are times that we can't for a good reason like Dan celebrating the birth of Liam and and all that that means and that's great and it's important that he's there with Michelle and being uh, an opportunity for them to celebrate as a family and that is as it should be but when others behave like promises don't matter it has a knock-on effect it affects others and if we as a church don't keep our promises to our neighborhood do you think that matters When we say, trust us, come and join us, we will look after your kids, yet we break our promise and children are hurt by us. What a tragic effect it has for our neighbourhood. But when we do keep our promises, it can also make a difference when we care for the poor and the marginalised, when children and families are treasured and loved, when we promise to work for the benefit of our neighbourhood and all that live around us, when we live out these promises, it not only is a a way of us being a blessing to our neighbourhood, but we also bring glory to God in the process. And what's more, when we live out our promises, we model to our neighbourhood the difference that it makes when we are people of promise, letting our yes be yes and our no, no. That's something worth striving for, don't you think? 
So for us today, as we wrap up our time together, I want to leave you with a few questions to ponder. What makes a promise worth keeping? What is an important promise that you have made in your life? And is there a promise that you haven't kept that may be worthwhile re-keeping? To revisit that promise and to say, yeah, I think it's about time for me to pick that up again and to recommit myself to re-keep that promise. I'm going to ask um, Lynette and uh, the team, if they want to just come up and just play for just a minute or two and uh, leave, it, leave us a chance just to reflect on those questions that are on the screen. And then we're going to sing our final song and then I'll close in benediction. God bless you.